Hey everyone, it's your host Ben. I had the opportunity a few months ago to chat with Jeanette Napolitano, who you might best remember as the singer and bass guitarist of Concrete Blonde. Jeanette is one of my favorite voices of all time, and as you'll hear in my conversation, Jeanette mentions that she doesn't really do many interviews these days, so I feel greatly honored that she would take the time to chat with me. I will say this, the conversation didn't start out very well. I tried a couple icebreaker questions that did not go over well, and I thought she was going to ditch the interview, but luckily I redeemed myself. Maybe one day I'll release an episode just of bloopers from our various episodes, and maybe I'll include some of those, those bloopers. But we talked about a whole myriad of topics, including one of my favorite records of the 90s, Concrete Blonde's fantastic record, Bloodletting. We talked about her solo work. We talked about her sketchbook series of books that she's written, her card reading podcast, and we even talked about Love and Rockets because, well, she recorded with David J. of Love and Rockets in a project called Trace Vampires. That was supposed to have been available on a very limited edition for Record Store Day, back when Record Store Day was supposed to be in April of 2020. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, and Record Store Day changed a bit for this year. And because of that, we kind of shelved this conversation because we wanted to help promote the release whenever it was going to come out. Well, happy to say that it's now slated to be released in the October 24th version of the Record Store Day Drops. A couple of topics that we didn't get to. Jeanette worked with Billy Howardell of A Perfect Circle fame on his Ashes Divide project, and she also provided a track called Suicide Note for the Underworld soundtrack. So I hope you'll also go check those things out. Anyways, here's my conversation with Jeanette. Enjoy. So, so my introduction to Concrete Blonde really comes during the, the bloodletting period. Um, what was it about those first two records where the label felt like um, they had enough confidence in you for, you know, this third record? And, you know, they sent you guys to, to, to London to record with, you know, a very well-renowned uh, producer, what what was it about, you know, what they saw in you guys? Because I, I grew up in Seattle. I didn't hear uh-huh. I didn't hear God is a bullet on on the radio up there. So I have to assume that you know God is a bullet and some other songs got some airplay on on some some radio stations. I don't think that the label would have signed. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just um, just now they're making a really great documentary, uh, the history of IRS records, and I was um, a part of that. And so that's going to be. I think that's going to really flip you out. There's some, there, they talk to everybody, everybody. I was at Miles Copeland's house recently. Just uh, that was a really cool thing. Okay. So if they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have signed us in the first place if they didn't think that we had the drive. I remember the night that I met Miles. He was under a full moon. He doesn't. He doesn't though. That devastated me. Um, <laughs> I told him, you know, we're ready to go. We bought, we have a van, you know, we, all we need is a van. We're ready to go. You know, we want to quit our day jobs and we want to go. There's only three of us. And we reminded him of the police. That's exactly what he said. And of course, Miles Copeland is Stuart Copeland's brother. Right. But he reminded us of the police in that, that we were ready to get in a van. We were ready to just like, just, just get rid of everything we didn't care and just go and just t- do whatever it took because we believed in ourselves that much. And I don't think, you know, you got, you know, I don't think that, I, I, I believe that they, they knew that we always would get to that point. 
And yeah. so um, that's kind of what happened. But, you know, having said that, it was definitely a much bigger, bigger deal than it had been before. You know, um, it was definitely a, a, a major experience. And uh, Harry just didn't make it. Um, of course, he's alive and well, but he didn't. He just didn't make it to that stage um, right. because he just had too too many personal problems, and um, and that was kind of devastating because you work up to that point, and then uh, literally the night before we started the record, you know, we just had to let him go. We flown to London, and we were in the midst of a lot of legal trouble uh, at the time. Well, that was the second record actually, but anyway, by the third record, he uh, Harry couldn't take it, and so we we uh, the night before we were supposed to start the record with Chris Tangerides, who had produced. Who he passed away a couple of years ago, Chris, and that was devastating. And here's a little thing: of all the records he made, and he's a legend, like you said. He's oh yeah. Busy, he's just, and he played Joey at the funeral. They carried him out to Joey, and that oh, meant wow. the world to me. Yeah, I know. I could. I actually won't start crying, but it, but it, it it meant the world to me because. You know, it was a different record for him to make, and um, it was a big deal for us to work with another producer um at that stage and it was difficult it was difficult for jim mankey because we've been working with earl mankey his brother for years but i felt like look you know we've got to graduate here and uh i had no qualms that that's where where i wanted the band to go i wasn't interested in just hanging around you know and playing for the same 100 people or the same 50 people or whatever i, I just believe the greatest audience is universal you know and and uh and it was scary, and it was. But then, uh, but that night, that night in London at the club, uh, we had we had a show in London, and um, that night, uh, Paul Thompson from Roxy Music was there because his girlfriend at the time had been friends with Chris Tangerini's wife Jane, and so Chris uh, Chris brought Paul was there, and uh, and I think Chris knew we were going to have trouble, and so uh, I think he had Paul in the back pocket. Paul just jumped. He just saw the band, and he just jumped, and and. For me, having uh, somebody like Paul in the band from Roxy Music was so validating. I mean, because, you know, he was a hero of mine. Roxy Music was just what I was all about. I mean, it was just, just great. And so um, I don't think I don't think the label, we fought a lot until that point. You know, they try to, uh, to dress me, you know, for the first record and they try to uh yeah we fought like crazy i mean even miles in the documentary is hilarious because i saw the trailer and he says you know you threw off you throw a beer at me and i said i threw a whole deli tray at you you know we used to really go at it but only because um there's definitely a mutual respect there between miles and i and the band we always knew who we were we always knew how good we were there was never an issue at all no no doubt in our mind you have to you have to know otherwise you just can't do it that, and, and that's kind of interesting that you would say that you, you, you fought with the label because I always thought that IRS was more of, the, you know, they had more of those bands like, you know, the REMs and, and um, the police where there was a little bit of that punk sensibility and they fought, to them. And they fought, with, they, they fought with them too. Okay. And yeah, everybody, oh, everybody fought. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's look, look. You have to, it takes a lot to make a record happen and everybody has different skills. You know, if, if, if musicians, musicians were so great at selling records, then they'd have to be on the phone all day doing it. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, if, and business people are there to do business, they're not there to kiss your ass. And, 
you know, as an artist, you have to learn to develop an objectivity about that and not let it, and you also have to pick your battles, you know, you can't argue over every little thing, you know, I mean, we, we were called Dream Six, we were called the LA Dreamers, the Dreamers, then the LA Dreamers, and then Dream Six, because we had an EP with six songs on it, yeah. and uh, I was working a day job at the time for a guy named Don Borchers, who's still a good friend of mine, he, he's a movie producer, he did Crimes of Passion, and a lot of movies back in the day and uh, a really educational guy. And um, and so I learned a long time ago uh, to not do that. But, but I remember that uh, when Miles called and signed us and the only thing he didn't like, and I was really nervous because he was, I was working, you know, my boss was on land and there's Miles Copeland on the phone. And, oh my God. And, uh, <laughs> and he says, uh, I just don't like the name of the band. You've got to change it because it was LA dream team at the time. And, the dream syndicate at the time, and there was all these dream things at the time. And you know what? As long, he was the only one in town, and we have been through every label in town, all the majors, and they either didn't like our songs, they didn't like the band, and they wanted me, or they wanted to do some other, you know, stuff. And and um, and we stuck to it. And so, if you wanted to change the name of the band, I couldn't care less because the important thing to me was not screwing with our our music and yeah. they didn't screw with the music. You know, they didn't screw with the music. They, they, they never, they never did. They screwed with a lot of other stuff. Actually they did. When I turned in bloodletting, Miles told me, he called me up and he said, I don't hear a hit single, go back in and record six songs. And I split, I pissed off to France or something. I just, I just said, you, you know, you're, you're crazy. I haven't got enough. I haven't got any more in me. So screw yourself and, and uh, put out the record like it is. They also wanted me to put everybody knows, on it because they didn't have enough faith in, um, I don't even know if it's a matter of faith. I think it's a matter of just, well, I think there's a lot of insidious stuff there, but that's not what this interview is about. I always had the, the uh, <laughs> I always had the confidence in the material and that's all that's mattered to me as far as all the other stuff. I'll stand up for what I really think, but I, I, I definitely, um, I definitely didn't care what we called the band. And so, uh, Ron uh, Scarcelli, who was a very dear friend of mine, uh, passed away of AIDS, was the first person that I knew to pass away of AIDS, and he was the art director at IRS, and he'd worked on all the REM stuff, and he was good friends with Michael, and uh, no, the, the labels didn't like anything I was coming up with, and and so uh, Michael just said to Ron, um, Concrete Ball is a good name for a band, and then of course, the, the whole and everyone at the label fell on their knees. And the sun came out and angels started singing and there it was. So nobody argued with Michael Stug. <laughs> right. That that was gonna be one of the questions that I asked because the lore was that Michael came up with the with the name of the band. So that's awesome. That is great. I've been doing this for, I've been doing this for a long time. I figured I'd just get to it. <laughs> <laughs> well let's 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 talk about let's go back to the production of it because I wanna touch on a couple couple things that you that you brought up. So so the first is with uh, with Paul getting brought in for uh, to do the percussion, so you, drums, 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 drums. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I listen to to Roxy music, it's not just drums. Like I hear, I hear like an yeah. explosion <laughs> of, of of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's my immediate reaction when I'm talking about talking about him. So, you know what? Actually, let me let me uh, let me say that that was a very uh, astute observation because Chris Tangeridi said to me, the difference in a record is percussion. Yeah. But the difference that will, that will give you flavors and colors and keep you listening forward. Because, you know, when you don't want to set it, forget it. You know, I mean, it depends on the genre of music, of course, but in, in terms of production, 
absolutely flavors, textures, and layers. And he, he was a big believer in percussion, and he insisted that, that that made all the difference in a track. So that was a pretty astute uh, observation. And once again, you have redeemed the T-shirt question a second time. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So so let's talk okay. let's talk about Chris for a second. So w was he <laughs> was he your choice, or was that uh, the label's choice? For no, you? no. Uh, we had been listening to records, and actually Harry really liked. We really noticed Chris. And we all we all did, but Harry actually pointed him out because we were listening to Finn Lizzie, and there's one record in particular, yeah. Renegade by Jennifer, and um, that just had an emotional scope that I felt was necessary for us. Now I fought with Chris Tangerides also plenty because the the Concrete Blonde. The reason that we stayed three people, even though we had tried four for five minutes was because that put us over into just being every other stupid metal band, in my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember uh, during the sessions, we were in London, and I can't remember where we were uh, exactly, uh, one of the studios that we were at. I think we were a couple studios there, Islington, someplace, Battery, I think. And um, Chris, uh, uh, Bruce Dickinson was sitting in a corner from Iron Maiden. And he was just sitting there, sitting there, and I'm like, you know, why is, Bruce Dickinson just sitting here and I, you know, and I, and he was working, uh, it was hilarious because he was, I, I knew that Chris wanted me to ask him to sing on the record and there was no fucking way I was going to do that because <laughs> look at me now, I'm 62 years old. Do you think I want to be out there screaming heavy metal to 15 year old boys at 62 years old? No, I don't. And so uh, I just, it just would have put it over into stupid world. And, and this is what pisses me off the most. Is Bruce Dickinson is not a stupid guy by any means. I mean, he's a pilot. He's just he's a smart dude. But he was working on a solo album at the time called No Muff Too Tough. And mm. I'm like, this one is. This one is. You're not on my record. <laughs> right. Right. So it didn't. It didn't jive with who I knew. I I knew the. I I wasn't that uh, clueless as to not know who we were. Do you know what I'm saying? And I I love Chris dearly. And I'm, I'm, I was devastated uh, when he passed away. He was definitely one of the people that, it, 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 he ended up to be one of the greatest confidants in my life. You know, he really, really was. He really, uh, because he never made a record, he, he himself has even said, he was never asked to make records like this. You know, he only got, he only got asked to make metal records, you know. Right. But this record stretched, stretched him out and it stretched me out. It stretched us all the way out of our comfort zone so that we actually broke, but we were put together in a much better uh, configuration, in my opinion. Paul Thompson's a monster. I mean, I, I'm amazing, you know. Right, right. Yeah, the the, the one thing in I, I I went back and re-listened to to Free because I wanted to just kind of dive back into your catalog and and and, and maybe you. Well, we're can, not talking. About, we're not going. No, we're, we're not, not talking about, about Free, that. but 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 I, but I wanted to compare. So the songs that are on Free are are I feel like a little more punky, like they're shorter songs as opposed to Bloodletting, where there is there's really a. a an expansiveness you still have a little bit of that well, I mean, sensibility look, I mean, but... well look 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 i mean come on we went from working you know at, at, at earl's house and i'm cutting you know trying to cut bass in the kitchen when his wife is opening the refrigerator and god love him i mean I love, you know, earl mankey is a pioneer and and there's no question about that but to go from there to uh a multi-million dollar studio in England with one of the greatest producers in rock and roll is just yeah. not a fair comparison at all. Right, right, 
Right. Well, let's. Uh, do, do you mind if we kind of go track by track, and and you can kind of give me some some of the the, the background info on lyrics, production, etc. On what record? On bloodletting. Yeah, of course. Okay. So so first song is bloodletting in parentheses, of yeah. course, the the vampire song. So I see in the credits that Steve Wynn of the Dream Syndicate had had provided some vocals, but. I, I don't know if I hear much of him. I hear more, more of you and overlays of of your vocals because that's that was pretty much the the formula where you were you were the additional vocals, correct? Oh yeah, I always overlay vocals. I, I sing I can sing a million harmonies like in five minutes. That's what I like to do. And that's one of the reasons. Yeah, why. See, I, it's, it's, I, I I completely forgot that Steve's in there. God bless him. But if you can't hear him, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, so um, you, you talked about how how Miles didn't hear a single, but you guys made a video for for Bloodletting. Did they did they release no, it as a proper was, single? That, that was that was after the record came out. I mean, you know, we're talking about before we turned the record in. By the time we made the video, the record had been turned in, and we'd established what we were going to do. Yeah. And I had to fight to make that. I had to fight to make a, a, a video for that record. Yeah, I had to fight for that too. They didn't want to give me the money, but it's in the contract, and they had to. So um, we uh, we were in London and uh, met a guy named Andy, uh, Andy Lee, and uh, he had just finished the birthday party, which was Bjork's band, of course, for those young people who don't know. Uh, um, no, it wasn't the birthday party. That was Nick Cave. What was Bjork's first band? Sugar Cubes. Yeah, Sugar Cubes. That's right. It was Sugar Cube, the Sugar Cube, birthday party, that was Nick Cave, then there was the birthday party, but no, there was a, a big birthday party year back in the 80s, but um, <laughs> yeah, he'd done that video for 200 pounds, and I thought, wow, this is, this guy's really cool, and I was living in London then, you know, I was there for the whole, the whole time, because I didn't want to hear what anybody in LA had to say, we were in England, we were there to make a record, and I want to hear about all the personal shit that was going on, and the legal shit, was, whatever was going on, it was like, we're making this record, and I'm staying out of LA, where everybody has an opinion and I'm not interested in any of them. And so uh, we made the video over there and it was awesome. And uh, Beavis and Butthead loved it because it had a lot of bugs. Because it had snakes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how I even found out that, that there was a video watching Beavis and Butthead back in you know mid nineties. Yeah. So, so for the, for the lyrical parts of it. So you, yeah. you, know, you, you, you guys, Pulled, pulled in the imagery of New Orleans, and I think most of us, when we think New Orleans, we think, you know, darker songs and macabre and, and, and all that. Uh, well, here's the deal. The first place we ever went on tour, the first time I'd ever left the state in the band on tour um, was New Orleans. And we our first tour was opening for Cindy Lauper, and I just thought it was just the most exotic place in the world. And I fell in love with it. And it turns out um, I'm really into things like astrocartography, which is where there are parallel lines in your per in your personal birth chart that intersect where it points on the map. You are at your very best in the terms of being in in line with the matrix. And and years later, I looked, and that's exactly one of them, New Orleans. So I spent a lot of time down there. And then, of course, I was reading constantly before. Um, you know, we didn't have back in the day, you know, smartphones or online or anything like that. And I just was reading constantly on the road. That was the only thing that kept me from, you know, from going crazy. And yeah. uh, Anne Rice was, was big that year. Interview with the Vampires, what everybody was reading. 
and um, and it was it was a great great book. I mean, it was just uh, and it's all metaphorical. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. you know, it was just kind of people. It's a metaphor. Stop leaving teeth in my dressing rooms and shit. You know. <laughs> However, so anyway, that's um that's that. But this is going to be really slow if we're going through all the tracks. So why don't you go ahead and pick two more, and then we'll go ahead and talk about the release. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, um, so definitely want to talk about Caroline because that is my okay. That is my okay. favorite. That's my favorite song by you all. Um, Thank you. Such such a beautiful song. Um, you guys made a video for that one as well, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that and that got a lot of play on on the alternative charts as well, right? You know what? I couldn't tell you to this day what got more play than anything else because I never paid attention to it. I'm actually just now starting to pay attention to it just to make sure that, you know, everything's straight. But I never really paid attention to it. And it never, I don't think it was an official single. Maybe it was. I don't know. I really do love that song. And I love the video. I just thought it was a great video. Um, really beautiful the auditions for that 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 video because we have we have a stripper an aging stripper right so we had Mm -hmm. to audition the stripper as a young girl and as an older woman and the auditions were just absolutely horrifying it was like the uh i felt i was almost crying at some of these these ladies that would come in these old ladies and they were like vaudeville ladies and just like and you hated to turn them down and I remember this one lady who was just she was just flipping out and she was so desperate and I remember when she you know we told her good thank you we'll call you she just started flipping out on us like yeah you didn't even smile yeah she started screaming at Maggie it was just insane it was insane Uh, but it was really a mad video the song once again it's for some reason you know everything to make the broadest statement and it's not like I ever consciously I wrote my first song when I was 12 so I never really consciously sat down and workshopped and had ASCAP and BMI memos on how to write a song and craft and all that stuff it's just something that I hear and I do and there's this clear audience plain and simple and you know if things come to me this way and I'll often mix up if it's if it's a first person scenario then I will change if I'm covering something, I've gotten a lot of trouble for this, and I, 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 I regret. I don't regret it now, but it's just uh, now I get it. I would not change um, the gender of a song if I was covering it, because to me it made it awkward. It, it took away from the song because you had to stop and go, oh, it's she, oh, it's a he, you know. Right. So I never messed with that, and um, I never. Um, if anything's real personal. I found out in, in a lot of different, well, with Joey mainly, because I thought that that song, if anybody didn't want that record, hey, you know what? It doesn't, it's not all on Miles. When we made that record, I actually called the record company. I said, I don't know if it's any good. I wanted to do the whole thing again. Mm. I not only didn't not hear a single, I didn't think anybody was going to relate to the record at all. And so we met, and as Miles said, and I quote, we were both a little bit wrong and we were both a little bit right. I wouldn't fight to re, I wouldn't fight for another single, but I actually just, the whole record, I just didn't know if, if anybody was going to get it at all. And that was a profound lesson because Joey was so personal that I just thought nobody's going to understand this. And then I was inundated, I mean, to this day, of course, you know, uh, or maybe not, of course, but I, I do. I still get mail over people that tell me their Joey stories. You know, one of them was a 16-year-old son who got killed on a motorcycle. Um, I mean, it was it was so profound the the uh, the revelation 
how many how many people could relate to that song and the lesson was basically the deeper you go in you know the more like everybody looks you know what i mean it's like literally on the sidewalk you're all blood and guts you know what i'm saying so it's kind of like you know it was really profound and um and but everything is generally everything is metaphor caroline is what you're talking about caroline is where I see a boat. It's another vision. It's another dream. And if you're going to move, the, the most painful thing about moving ahead is having to leave people behind. And there's just no way that you that you can't if you're growing. You know, you just can't. I mean, you just can't take everybody with you. And not everybody is on the same path. And not everybody is. It's just like you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of you know little pictures and stuff like that but my my well mine is the, the solar system some planets come around every hundred years some come around every day and some come around every couple weeks or whatever people are the same you know and on the merry-go-round you know some people have been riding it for a while and get off and some people have just jumped on and that's the, the bittersweet part of, of of that is that you know you're not you have no right to hold your talent back because that's something given to you if it's the real thing then then you owe it to share it, you know, and that's something that not everybody understands, and you might not even understand. But when something is bigger than you, there you just have no choice. You're powerless, really, in front of it. And um, and it seemed like that it was a big wave that needed to. Everything's in waves anyway. You know, I'm a big, I'm a Californian, so everything, you know, sound, light, and everything else. You know, the wave comes and then it breaks, and then that's the watershed. You know, and not everybody makes it. And so Caroline was basically the vision was, you know, you sail away and you're waving and somebody standing back at the pier. And over the years, you know, it's different people standing on the pier what you're waving goodbye to. And it's a very powerful image. Uh, it's very strong, but bittersweet, though. It's not sad. You know, in the end, that's what happens to everybody, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's so you you've mentioned joey as well i think one of the things with with joey and caroline being you know two of your most more recognized songs is we we've all had a joey or a caroline in our lives like there there's always those those individuals who have come into our lives that yeah touch us in different ways some good some bad and i feel like both of those songs you you captured the emotion of knowing those Carolines and the Joeys. And and that I think is why people people are drawn to both of those songs is you you left it out there. Like the emotions are there. You can hear well, it in the lyrics and, and in how you deliver it. Well to me, thank you. I appreciate that. But I was gonna say earlier is that most of you, you're speaking as an American in one country. I've been all over the world and I promise you the first song is not, uh, you know, in Brazil, we were considered a surf band from God is a Bullet. Yeah. Their concept of surf music is a much bigger, it's, it's not, well, it's bigger because it's a bigger country for one thing, but their their concept of surf music is much different than our concept of surf music. So it's not, it's, and, and I also want to say that, you know, I think there are just as many songs, you know, maybe not, I'm not, you know, it's hard to be objective about your own stuff. And so to me, there are plenty of other songs that um, that I that are just as if if I've not more invested in emotionally certainly, but as uh, somebody I know well would say, just that money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk, <laughs> let's let's talk about your um your upcoming record store day release then. Okay, 
this is great because you're the you're the only one that I, I'm really going to talk to you about this because I don't I don't really have to do press and therefore I don't want to do it. And this is an interesting thing too. I don't have to do it. I haven't got a record out, and I don't have to talk to people, and it's a sheer joy. So uh, here's the, well here's this is funny. So David J who I met at a rehearsal studio in Hollywood. Of course, David J. Haskins is of Bauhaus fame, but frankly, I'm a much bigger Love and Rockets fan Me than too. I am a Bauhaus fan. Me too, yeah. Yeah, are you? Why are you a bigger Bauhaus fan than Love and Rockets fan? No, I'm a, I'm a bigger Love and Rockets fan than Bauhaus. I, oh, sorry, that's what I meant. Well, the Earth, Sun, Moon was one of those records that I played the crap out of. As soon as I bought it, I was like, this is so different from anything else that I'm listening to. Like the, the side A was a little more electric and was more in line with what I had heard on Express. And then you flip the tape over because I'm dating myself. I, I just told you that I bought it on cassette. Um, but you flip it over and side two is just this bunch of really beautiful, uh, you know, slower acoustic type songs that just, I don't know, I just, it really resonated with me. There was, again, I'm drawn to those, those um, artists that throw the emotion in it. And I, and I felt it, I felt it in that record. And, and so um, that, that, record still continues to be one of those records that um, you know every couple of years I'll throw it on and I'm just kind of transported back to 1987 it's a, it's a it's a beautiful record that's, that's really interesting because I would not consider Daniel or David emotional singers at all I just as a matter of fact I just did something on David J has a new record coming out he was just out here in the desert David is the kind of guy that you can I love David so much because he's just the kind of guy where you can just go, you know, I had a dream about you and it was about, and then, oh, really? Oh, right. You know, you can just relate on that level and he's just totally on another planet. Yeah. But I think that I consider emotional, yet I agree with you about the, uh, that they evoke, that the vocals evoke emotion. But I was going to say earlier, I was, well, I was thinking earlier, I wasn't going to come interrupt you amazingly, but uh, the lyrics also, are, are really otherworldly and very, very timeless, you know, and it's kind of like, but I also think that even now, I, I've studied flamenco for 30 years or something, I studied in Spain and then, and then all that, and you don't need to understand a lyric at all to feel emotion from it, right? So you can hear somebody, singing, you know, not in English at all and still feel from it, so it's coming from somewhere else besides the vocals. And yet it does evoke that completely. And Bauhaus doesn't do that for me at all. But uh, but if, if you've never heard Bauhaus in your life, it just stands as such a great record. Like, who is this? This is gorgeous kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And I really, really love that record. So that's my favorite thing anyway. But how, having said that, David J is the real deal, you know? And we, um, about 10 years ago, were getting together we toured we toured a lot we just we did a, a couple runs when i was touring solo and david was opening and then hey 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 don't interrupt uh and it was really good it was really fun touring with david because he's he's fun to observe things with you know and and he's also great to listen to i'm really picky about who i tour with because i have to listen to them every freaking night yeah. and, you know and, and and all that so david's just brilliant and he's always just interesting and, and cool and i love his voice and uh, so we went and we were getting together and he had a place up in hollywood he was staying at some legendary place and we got together and we did 
these songs, and a friend of ours, DJ Shock, who, who is a, a man about town in L.A., is an electronics kind of guy. He does a couple of projects. Red Light District, I think, is his main thing, and very cabaret-oriented kind of kind of a guy. We kind of we recorded these songs, and um, just for the hell of it, and it was very very vampire and very uh, dark and very uh, in a just I don't know, it, it very very. Um, a royal medieval weird it's, it's just really weird uh creepy dark romantic stuff you know and it's duets and so we recorded this like 10 years ago and then nothing really happened um because no reason to and david's always doing stuff and i'm always doing stuff or whatever and um stephen judge uh who has a couple record stores uh, called Fool Kids Records and a label in uh, North North Carolina, South Carolina, and Ireland, and used to work at uh, I think a distributor called Red Eye. Concrete Blonde made a record called Mojave when, uh, uh, a few years ago, and Red Eye distributed that. So uh, Stephen, why? How did we get with Stephen? What was Stephen doing? Oh, I, I think I sent Stephen. We've been in, t in touch for some reason. I can't really remember. But uh, but all of a sudden, there was record store day, and they didn't have that before. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, vinyl's back, right, apparently. Yeah. I don't have any vinyl. I have it for a long time. But I said, well, you know, now might be time, David, to do something with those songs, you know. And um, and so we uh, – I hit Stephen up. I said, well, this is, this is really this, – this could be really cool because they're neither here nor there. It's only three songs. And why not go ahead and do, you know, a, a colored vinyl 12 inch? And so that's what we did. So it's Tres Vampires, Three Vampires. And uh, it's the 12 inch with three songs on it. Uh, Voyage of the Dam, Take You Deep is the A side. And I can't remember the other one now. But it's really, it's just, you know, I, it's, it's new Halloween classic rock. It's new, it's new Halloween death duet. You have to but but it's really cool, and, and we, you know it's ten years old, but it's you know goths never die, basically vampires never die, and so you know uh, I'm glad David's back doing his Bauhaus stuff and everything. I've never seen them, never even you know I like to be removed because I just don't care. I just you know what I'm saying. It's, I don't care. I don't I don't mean that in a way that I don't care. I just mean that in a way that I've always kept myself removed from influence because I don't want. I don't want to be influenced. You know, I'm not living out in the desert because Graham Parsons lived out here. I want to come out here because of why Graham Parsons came out here. I want to come out here because there are no people out here and I can get the universal, you know, I can get the stars falling on my yard too, you know. I mean, I want to go back to the source, not a third or fourth or fifth generation of a source. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of that. And so David... And I think that's what we, I think that's why we get along, really. I don't know. We don't really get, you know, it's just like, he was just in the desert. And he, he, hey, hey. And I said, I had a dream about snakes. And he said, oh, well, you know, I'm in the desert. Uh, do you want to come by? I'm like, yeah. But what he didn't know was that my friend, who was not even a mile from where he was staying, had taken a picture of a snake track that must have been a 50-foot snake. I mean, it was just crazy. So anyway, that, that's the level that... Uh, David, uh, we've done we did gallery shows together. I just I just really 
really like David. I like I like his his art, his sensibility. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad to see him. Like that. Have you read his book? I have not. It's definitely on my on my to do list. So <laughs> one one of these days, one of these days, I'll get to it. Um, any any clue of how many copies the label is going to make of of this uh, release for you? One thousand only. And uh, that's it. They're not going any. That's been my model for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I've been I've been doing this for so long, and I learned from the guys who, you know, I used to watch my boss Dave Gold cut cut lacquer all day long. You know, I mean, I that was my day job is making sure that the vinyl got into the bath by four o'clock, but the guys picked it up, it was packed in styrofoam, and then they got your stampers back and metal, and then you okay to test pressing and all that. That was my day job. That's what I did, you know. Yeah. So I, I know all that. So we're only doing a thousand because the model is at least the one that had the one that I've been existing on for a while now is that people do still like to have records and it's all going to go to online anyway. But, uh, you know, you at least make sure that as an artist, you know, you get something. And, you know, if you're the kind of guy that needs to roll with five or six million bucks, that's not real money anyway past a certain point. And uh, if you're just an artist that ha likes to keep making music and be comfortable, then, you know, for that point. But it's, mo it's mostly about the music. And when you make good music, it's going to find its way out. You know, I mean, how many records do, do they unbury? the minute somebody goes down in a plane crash or whatever, you know, right. I mean, there's good music is that you cannot keep it from surfacing. And while people get frustrated, you know, I'm sure, you know, of 10 years ago, you know, what's going to, what are we going to do with this? What's going to happen with this? You know, I mean, David and I were busy, you know, doing stuff anyway, but you know, it, it, everything, everything happens in its own good time. You really got to trust it, especially when it comes to art, you know, things happen in its own time, you know, artists are ahead of their time. And you just don't catch up to it. You know, I saw something on Picasso the other day, and, and he, his last gallery show was absolute genius. And he was in his 80s, and they tore him apart for it. And yeah. if you look at that now, you're like, holy shit, man. This guy was like, the only thing he said that kept him from, from keeping going was that his eyes were failing. Can you imagine Picasso now with LASIK? And, you know, I mean, amazing. Right. So, <laughs> So, so that, and that's great too, because, because I mean, look at Bauhaus, speaking of Bauhaus, I mean, look at, you know, for, as a person who almost got the hell beat out of him for having purple hair in 1979, in, in, you know, in, in LA, in the Valley, everybody's got purple hair now, it's no big deal. So it's like, you know, that, it, it, that's just the way it goes, you know what I mean? Everything old is new again, or everything weird is new again, and we're, we're going through times right now that we never have in the history of this country, obviously, but in the history, like for astrological, astrological reasons, a lot of things, big things are changing. And, and it's a very optimistic time in spite of what, what the way it looks to everyone, you know? So um, uh, everything, and these kids are discovering things for the first time. I mean, my God, these, you know, 13 year old kids, you know, or, or because of the internet, you know, that our artists fought that so hard. And, now you have, you know, 15 and 16 year old kids, you know, writing to you and saying, yeah, I love this record and sign this record and whatever. You know, these are just young kids. And so this keeps uh, the music to them is very fresh. And that's, that's making it. But you know, what's really strange is that um, now when you mentioned the Love and Rockets record, that didn't sound like anything in the 80s. No. Because of the that's what I mean. That was the, the era of, of um, Duran Duran and Berlin, my girl Terry, you know, and uh, it was very electronic. You had um, 
the seagull guy with the hair. What was his name? Mike Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And Gary, and Gary Newman, who was brilliant, by the way. Gary used to record at uh, Gold Star, where I used to work. Uh, his father, I think, uh, was was his manager, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. Paul Weathers was also. But he used to come in at fatigues and rifles. It was very odd. But um, but he's brilliant. But all those, you know, all of that. So that was an unusual record for the 80s, you know? Yeah, I think there were a lot of people who who thought as soon as, you know, Bauhaus disbanded that, you know, Love and Rockets would kind of carry the torch of uh, of what Bauhaus was doing. And then they're like, wait a minute, there's an acoustic guitar on top of this really heavy drum and bass lines. And, okay. and, they're, and they're wearing white on the cover, may I point yeah. out. They're wearing white. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that was, a, that was a beautiful, but you know, if, if, you know, I don't know, I've never met Daniel and I don't know uh, Peter Murphy or any of those guys, but I do know that, that, uh, David J is an artist 24 seven. Yeah. That's just how he breathes. He just, he just lives, uh, you know, on another level. And, um, and that is, is you can't put that in a box, you know, at all, you know, so you can't stop that, you know, if an artist wants to evolve, that's another issue is that, you know, you have different people in the band and different configurations and you have, but look at, you know, so Bauhaus breaks up and nobody cares for, you know, 10 years and then 20 years later, everybody does. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's an amazing point of view uh, from a person of, uh, from people our age. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's, it's really cool, you know. It's, it's actually it's actually really cool. So everything so, is possible. Absolutely. Channels aren't limited anymore, you know. Yeah. So with this record store release, so you said it was recorded ten years ago. So a- anything that you're doing currently that because um, it's been a couple of years since you put out a, a solo record, you you working on some material of your own? Well, I don't know what the last thing you you have. Like I said, I've been doing the thousand record model for a long time. So yeah. I've had about, I, I do my sketchbook series, which is, uh, they're all sold out now. And I've, I've got one of those going. I've got one of those going and I've got, I've got an album going, but I'm not flogging myself over it. I lost my two brothers uh, a year apart. They were both killed a year apart to the day. Oh my gosh, and so, yeah, that's kind of why I haven't, that's why I'm not, I don't like talking to people. And that's why I put this off for so long because, and I, I'm also not going to talk about anything I'm not going to talk about because I fucking don't care. You don't have so, to. But yeah. I don't have to. Yeah. And so um, that uh, has changed my life. I'm definitely slowing down. I started burning myself out physically really badly for a while and uh, it caught up with me. I put out a record called Naked, the Naked album. And yeah. um, that that uh, is that's gone too. You can get all this stuff online, by the way. The Naked album is a really good piece of work. That was uh, a friend of mine who uh, actually is uh, Leon Russell's old guitar player, Brian Manzel, who's been my mastering guy for a long, long time um, on my all my uh, independent stuff and film stuff or whatever. But he brought the mobile unit over and just ran lines into the house. And I recorded that all out here in the desert, you know, where I wanted, uh, I'm building my own little studio. I've got five acres and trailers and all that stuff. And so I've got my little sound stage going and all that sort of stuff. And I did, oh, here's a song, Crib Girl, you should see if you haven't seen it. Crib Girl is on YouTube. That's, that's a great track and it's a great video. And I shot that all here. Danny Montgomery, my drummer from Pretty and Twisted, came over from uh, Paris to, to um, help me with that. And um, what else? Riding the Moon, which is a great track. 
And that is uh, that, actually, that video was animated um, by a guy, Geraldo Caesar, in New Zealand. He's a uh, Mexican living in New Zealand, and I, I voiced uh, a, an animated feature for him called Lilith, and it was an animated, a short feature about child abuse. And I, um, I, well, I loved his animation so much that I had this song, Riding the Moon, that took me six years to finish for various reasons. Um, that I asked him to animate it, and he did, and it is stunning, and it was nominated, as, it was a finalist at the Firenze Film Festival last year. Cool. Um, uh, at the short, oh my God, that was so, oh, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> even though I'm not Italian anymore, uh, I got to my 23 and me, uh, and I'm Ukrainian. I'm Ukrainian. I'm not Italian. Okay. I'm 23%. Yes, and you could. So I can talk like this now if I want to. I can talk like Melania. I can talk like Melania. So, but anyway, that that anyway, I'm really really proud of that because that made me really excited. And I was sidelined for a while for health reasons. You know, I had to get my blood pressure down and stuff. And but I can't not work. So my challenge is to tone down the mania, but not feel like I'm not getting anything done because I'm a very driven person. It's just the way I'm made. And um, and so yeah, I'm proud of that stuff. But as far as if I put out an album like the way that you're used to it being done, I have to tour, I have to do a lot of stuff that I'm just not up to doing right now. Yeah. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put any pressure on myself to say when I'm ever gonna be up for it again. My doctor just retired after thirty years. She's in LA. And uh and oh I was bummed about that because, you know, she's been my doctor for half my life. And I had the best checkup that I've ever had with her. So I don't want to lose that. It took me a long time to get healthy again. Uh, because stress, you know, my hair started falling out. Or, you know, you're, you're, always, you're always in some legal situation and making sure you get paid, especially in the last 20 years because there's all this stuff going on. The guys that are old enough to remember where your money is don't know anything about the new places where it is or they're dead. And the new people aren't old enough to know where it came from. So it's really a difficult thing for uh, an artist to be in terms of trying to keep track of everything. So that can, that that was pretty stressful for a couple of years. But yeah. I never stopped making music ever. I mean, I, I haven't even had air conditioning until last year and I live in the fucking Mojave Desert and I never ever stopped making music. So if you look back, you know, um, I've never stopped. As a matter of fact, this is the longest I've gone without playing live and I'm try I don't want I'm, I'm nervous and so it's a strange thing to me now and it should it shouldn't be but it is so I'm actually gonna my a friend of mine uh, is working for the Humane Society in Maui and so that's the last place I hugged my brother John because he served time in prison there and so I'm actually gonna go over there and uh, and do that um, but I haven't, but as far as like, you know, you can, I can't put out a, I can't, you know, record company's not going to go, not going to say to somebody like me, here's a bunch of money, here's an album, thanks for letting us have it. No, 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 you got to go out, you got to work, you got to do this, you got to, and I really don't know how much of that I've got in me at this point, you know, not that I can physically not going to do, but, you know, it, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot, you know. Well, the, the new model. Hard. Yeah, the new model of putting music out these days anyways isn't putting out records. It's kind of what you've been doing for the last couple of years of, of you know, putting out Riding the Moon and putting out Crib Girl and, um, you know, and, and reminding everybody, um, yeah, you could, you, could, you could go check out all of my other records that I've made over the last, you know, 30 years. So, yeah. Well, let me talk about that. 
good girl be cool and that's that's a cool um if, if you haven't seen the video on the track or whatever but that was that was very cool that was difficult to make because i literally had nothing but a laptop in the summer with no air conditioning could only record like like literally between the hours of three and five in the morning and you can't even do that and that Worked. Anyway, it doesn't even get cool then anymore. But my friend Miranda Gavin, who's a London artist, she took all the photos for bloodletting back in the day. That's long. That's how long I've known her. Okay. Making that record. And so she's uh, 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 just showed in London, as a matter of fact. And she did a study. We were. Um, I went to tattoo school, and I got a license um, a few quite a few years ago. And uh, and she came over and she was hanging out. We were in San Diego. I was going to school and she was riding around. We were watching Deadwood and I was really into Deadwood. That's when Deadwood came out. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated with Deadwood and I was fascinated with the women. And Miranda's a feminist. And um, I wouldn't call myself a feminist. I like to be called a humanist. Although um, I can see why the, the term is relevant. Let's say, uh, but uh, but I was fascinated with the way the women of the Wild West. This is where I live, and one of the things I could appreciate is, you know, how difficult physically it can be in the winter. You know, you're breaking ice off the horses' water and shit like that. You know, just your basic things that you take for granted. I can't even imagine like having babies and stuff like that, like back in those days. You know what I mean? Or, um, and it was just fascinating. So Miranda, anyway, we drove through the national park because the flowers bloom in March in the. Joshua Tree National Park, and she's taking pictures of all these beautiful blooms, and they're all, they only bloom for a couple of weeks, you know. And so when she got back, she sent me these photos, which are all in the video, but she juxtaposed these photos of these women, like Wyatt Earp's wife and um, and uh, Calamity Jane, and all these these women. She superimposed these black and white images over these gorgeous desert blooms. And I was just, oh, it took my breath away. And so a uh, crib girl came from that really, and especially the video, um, because that, that was kind of an ode to the flowers of the West, as I called it. And uh, that came out really, really beautifully. And I got to read, because I, I read cards, and I've been reading since I was uh, a teenager, but I, I'm getting back into that because that's what I want to do when I'm an old lady. Um, for Wyatt Earp's relatives, they, uh, they actually visited me um Wyatt Earps, I think it's your granddaughter, uh, great great granddaughter and great granddaughter, but isn't that a trip? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and and with the card reading, so I know that you've been doing kind of your own little uh recording and, and podcasts of of do you do it every day? The the, the card reading? I, I, I started doing that. Well this is really funny because my my agent Bruce Solar, who hasn't called me in a couple of years, but uh, that's but that's fair enough uh, for other for many other reasons. But he actually, but I do I do love you, Bruce. But he actually said you should start a podcast. Now I very much doubt this is what he meant. Very serious. Right. But um, <laughs> but I you know you can I can only talk about guitars and music so much because it's just it's just it's just I've been doing it for sixty years and there really yeah. is nothing new to say about any of it. But um. And all the greatest artists in the world, you know, like I said, I've been reading cards, I've been, I've been hearing dead people since I was a little kid. And so this is something that I always do, that I could do, and I always have done over the course of my life. And when I I decided, you know, my mentor was in New Orleans at the bottom of the cup tea room, which is still there. It's the oldest tea room in the, in the United States. And the psychics there, you know, were all mentors to me. Um, Otis is still alive, and he you can see him call the Super Bowl, the Saints winning the Super Bowl. He called the fourth quarter and everything cool. online, you know. You see, yeah, you can see, I was, I was there that night. It was insane. But um, so my mentors, um, 
I, it was really, you know, kept me going for, she kept me going for a long time. She's passed away now, but she was an amazing, she worked for the cops finding, you know, bodies and stuff like that. So, you know, we're, 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 we're a serious group of people. We're to be taken seriously. And so I, I, um, that's where all the music's always come from. But now, um, I mean, the voice chakra, the voice is what my gift is. You know, I, I don't like the sound of my own voice uh, at all. Uh, most singers don't uh, uh, is something that's interesting. But um, but I realized that that's something that other people do like. And so I actually, and I like to read and I like to write. And the reason that I started, well, I started doing the WordPress uh, blog every morning first. And the reason I started to do that was my, my, my brother John was killed. And then my brother Patrick was uh, killed. He was a pilot and his plane went down. Even after a year investigation, there, the, the plane was perfect. The, the, there's no reason for it whatsoever. So it was very upsetting. And at that point, you know, I, at that point, I really had to get up and do something. You know, I had, I had to get up and really get, first of all, get myself out of my head first thing in the morning because that was my worst time. And so I do cards, you know, every morning because studying the cards is a lifetime endeavor. It goes back to Kabbalah. It goes back into mysticism, numerology, astrology, uh, you know, Egyptology. It goes as deep as you can go and then some. And so there's history, there's uh, mythology, uh, you know, geography, everything is in, in one card you could study. And so that my mind needs to be active that way. And yeah. so uh, it, it, it would start me off every morning doing something really good. And and uh, and I read for friends. I always did. And, you know, I started getting repeat uh, people calling every year, you know, and, and every year. And it just started kind of to take its own life on. But then it started making me feel better. And I started looking forward to it. And I just, the podcast, you know, everything is so easy to do. And I'm like, well, you know, um, why don't I just see what happens? And, um, and the other thing that I liked was that um, it's a whole other portal of people you know, um, all walks of life um, are involved in in these uh, disciplines and are interested in themselves, you know, in spirituality. And I, you know, you can laugh at Marianne Williamson all you want, but she was the most Googled candidate after the debate uh, of any of them, you know, because she's absolutely right. Uh, she's not going to win. I mean, she's, you know, nobody's going to vote for whatever, but she touched a nerve that you can't deny. She's absolutely right. You know, it's, and, and, and a lot of things are being labeled as mental problems that are not. They're spiritual problems. And it's very confusing. And, and so this is nothing. This is where my music comes from. So if anybody cares, then that's fine. And if they don't, that's fine, too. You know, I don't seek anything out, you know, really. I'm, I'm here in the desert just doing my thing, trying to, you know, um, keep myself healthy. That's all. And, you and, you know, if, I, that, then I, if I'm healthier than people, are, you know, that I care about are healthier, and it really does start with you. So however that happened, it happened. And, and since then, because I am a spiritualist, and it's one time, uh, another thing that I'm working on, and, and uh, actually touched on uh, in the last chapter of the last book, I think, or the one before, yeah, the last one, because I want to write it as a screenplay form, is my mentor was tried as a witch in 1962 mm -hmm. in Arkansas. And, uh, and for a, a very interesting story, and so I'm writing it. And uh, she told me not to do it when she was alive because she didn't want to deal with those people anymore. She didn't want to see them pretending that they didn't know her and all that, you know. But it's, right. a, it's a very powerful thing. And so uh, it's a great story because it's, it's inspiring. You know, you can't deny 
that people have had those experiences. My father, before he passed away, he said, you know, how do you know? And he, he died very quickly of cancer. And he said, how do you know there's anything after this? And I said, because you'll tell me when you get there. And so he started punching 1111 into the microwave. The microwave's going off and I'm writing about here, typing away, you know, and then beep, 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 beep. It happened a couple of nights and I finally went in and it's just punching out 1111. I videotaped it. I put it online somewhere, but I can't remember where. But um, but that's when I found out. I went and Googled it, Google 1111, and I went, I went, oh wow, this is a big deal. Yeah, it was. It changed my life, you know. So so it's it's a, um, I can see things more objectively, objectively. But I want to enjoy things. I did not enjoy things very much because I think, um, I was for a lot of reasons. I'm. I'm the way I am, and that's an easy thing to take advantage of. When someone is manic and driven, and um, you can really, you know, really just harness that energy up and go, and that's kind of what the first half of my life is all about, you know. So um, when I think of it now, I'm, I'm just amazed that, that anything ever happened, you know. I had to fight so hard, especially on the Bloodletting album. We had to fight so hard to the point where, you know, well, Miles will, well, you know, we all laughed at Miles at CIA. He knows that. We all laugh about that. And some people don't laugh about it, but it's like, whatever, dude, your dad's the CIA. But we were all like, you know, what are you doing? Are you crushing these records on purpose so that, you know, they won't get out to anybody? And there are, there are people that had that school of thought, too. But um, I think it's just, uh, you know, things just happen. You know, I remember being, uh, we got our gold record for that, uh, for that record on um, Sydney Harbor on a boat. Michael Gadinsky, because it went gold in Australia first before it went in, before anybody else. So um, that's where we got our first gold record. Michael Gadinsky, Mushroom Records, those people busted it wide open. They're the ones responsible, basically. Because the Americans will kind of sit and just watch what's happening everywhere else, you know, and then go, oh, yeah, you know, then they'll jump on it, you know. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of who made it happen with the Australians. And, um, and so... Um, uh, I remember st standing on the boat, the boat in the harbor, and I was just, I was just, I was, I was just, it was so surreal because I hadn't expected, like, that was the only goal, and then after that, there was really nothing. I went like, oh, wow, we got a gold record, and it, and, and it, it was astounding at how little it changed anything, and that was profound. That, that was profound. It just didn't change a damn thing. It didn't. It didn't fix anybody. Any of the people that I loved who were broken. It didn't make the world any better. It didn't. Um, it didn't make me feel any different. It, as a matter of fact, I was kind of surrounded by a lot of people I didn't know, who were kind of obnoxious. Not the Australians, no, but I mean a couple of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you're you're not. They were probably too, they were probably too high on drugs to even remember whose boat they were on. Right. Right. <laughs> And you're not the only artist that I've, that we've talked to where you know the, the 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 fame and the accolades don't really change anything. So I, I think that goes back to you know some of the points that you talked about your own spirituality and knowing who you are. Um, that's where you have to go back to. You have to go back to the foundation of who you are, not what other people are expecting you to be. So it's a uh, that can be really difficult, you know, if you, depend, yeah. if you have a foundation, you know, at all. But that's another thing. I mean, we're seeing that a lot more now is that, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the young people and the young kids that are fucked up, they're there to be fucked up, you know, yeah. they're there to be exploited. And so that's that's what happens. For some reason, I'm a psychotically strong person. And I, I was looking after a lot of people and there was no way anybody was going to get in my way. 
you know, at all. And it, it, it was not about me. And it was about, uh, I mean, my God, I, I took care of my family for a long time, you know, my whole family. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't about that. So it was, it was, but it's about, it's a, like I said, it's about fighting for something bigger than you, you know, yeah. and, um, but if you're not in it for the music, then, then just don't bother, you know, at all, you know, so it's interesting to see who's still, who still is, you know, has made it through and who's doing what, you know, and aging gracefully as a Californian is, is something that I've always been um, conscious of, and maybe I should be, and maybe I'm not, but I'm, I, I just had a knife plant from Virgo, so I worry about this too much anyway, but also, I, you know, I'm, Holly, I'm, in, I'm born in Hollywood, California, and there's nothing scarier than seeing somebody with 16-year-old tits and a 70-year-old face, you know, so I'm kind of like, you know, I've always been, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, I've always been future-minded, you know, I've always, I've always been, been, you know, um, really a mental, a mentalist anyway. I've always been kind of like, I want, I've, I wanted to be a writer. That's why, you know, we did like on the Pretty and Twisted record, you know, Charles Bukowski, I took his words and put it to music and, mm -hmm. and uh, his widow loved it. Uh, his widow absolutely loved it. And uh, she used it in a, a play about him. And so that made me happy. So I've always been um, I didn't go to college, and I was very self-conscious about that, so that's why I read constantly. My eyes aren't as good anymore, but we have the internet now. Old people, so that's good. There's you know, but, um, but always, the, the, uh, it always matters to me. I just got into, I've gotten into about, to a couple people about this. It matters to me that something could be read on a page. You know, it doesn't have to be perfectly literate, because rock lyrics are rock lyrics. They're not they're not necessarily liter literature, but it's important to me on every level. There's something that's called, I study this as well, when you can actually, you taste music and you can actually hear taste and colors taste and things like that. There's a lot of that mixed up in it as well, where if, an, if, a, if, a, if a word bothers me because there's too many vowels in it, then I'll have to change it and make it more consonants. It has that aesthetic as well. So it's all, it's, 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 Simple yet complicated. I try to dissect it. That's what I come up with. But in in reality, it's just I have I have no idea what's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. So so tell us where people can find you know your card readings, where they can find your music, where where can they find uh, Johnette? Well, the clo the closest thing right now is uh, a page. Uh, johnettnapolitano.net and that's just linking to everything right now and uh, what I'm working on is Joshua Tree Recording Company which is the company that I've had for oh three or four years which is basic my concept of my recording company is not just because you stick a mic up in Joshua Tree and make a record like I said you know I'm on a higher I'm trying to come from a higher place than that I want to come from the place it's the highest place, you know, and so I kind of see it as traffic control on a Nikola Tesla level, or or Joe Meek, if you've ever seen um, Telstar, the Joe Meek story, you know, he he was on a Ouija board and it told him Telstar was going to be number one, and it was, you know, that's all true, you know, and so I like I like the idea that I'm connecting with people all over the world, and I don't have to leave, really. I mean, you know, that's that's what Joshua Tree Recording Company is all about. So I'm working on that website right now, and it's going to be, oh, my goodness, music video, um, 
books, of course, and I'm working on uh, Rough Mix 3 now, which is the third version. And you can go to Amazon and order the books um, and anything. You know, just, just search for the Rough Mix, Rough Mix 1 and 2, and the sketchbooks are all downloadable now. And uh, the Naked album and then um, the new album, I, I'm not sure. It, it, I don't want to take, I want to take my time on it because it really sounds like a record. Very cool. Well, you tell us, you tell us when that new album comes out, we'll, we'll absolutely share it on our socials and, and get the word out also about the, the, the record store day release. So very cool. Thank you very much. There's so many radio people that are going to be so pissed at me about this, but you know, <laughs> there you it's go. Kinda like, it's kind of like back in the eighties in more ways than one. It's like that middle ground's opened up where, you know, you guys are trying harder. You know what I mean? There's space there, just like there was in the 80s when, like, Bad Religion started their labels. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I helped to do that. You know, I mean, it was like, because that was because, and it was, it, you know, it, that, that fertile middle ground is, is here again. So, so my pleasure all around. 